Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Off the Beaten Track Podcast with me, Stu Whiffin. How you all doing today? Not bad. Decent. Good. Good, that's what I want to hear. Okay, so thanks loads for all your ongoing support. The podcast is growing uh, steadily, strength to strength and all of that. Um, if this is the first one you've listened to, you've already missed podcasts from the likes of Scroobius Pip, Dan Lassac, uh, DJ Destruction, Jordan Gray and oh, loads more. Go and have a little look. And the best way to not miss anything is... It's just go and subscribe. That's the easiest thing. And uh, so big thanks to all of my buddies over on the Distraction Pieces Network, which is the network we put this podcast out on. Um, Big thanks to My Name Is Ad, who does the artwork for this. Big thanks to Brad Acton, who does the video content. Much love to my producer extraordinaire, 76. And thanks most of all to you lot for liking, sharing, retweeting and all the nice stuff, comments and all of that. Love it. Thank you very, very much. So today's guest is Mr. Chris Hayden. Uh, Chris is someone I've known for a long, long time. I used to go and watch some of his bands um, when he was quite young and then bumped into Chris again through a mutual friend at the time I was running a club night with Matthew Hong and Chris knew Matthew and we got reintroduced at which point it became apparent that Chris had relocated up to the big smoke and was the drummer for Florence and the Machine and which I can guarantee we're going to talk about in this podcast because he spent years and years and years doing that and he's done so much more as well uh, lots of interesting stuff with record labels and uh, upcoming bands and stuff which we're going to talk about on this podcast so um Strap yourselves in and enjoy this episode of Off the Beaten Track podcast with Mr. Chris Hayden. 76, drop that intro. It's Off the Beaten Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Right, we're recording. We're in the basement of the Queen of Hoxton. So thanks to those people here for letting us take over their venue for the evening to record this um i'm not going to waste any time i'm just going to go straight in and, and welcome this episode's guest chris Aiden. hello you all right yeah i'm good yeah good it's, to see you. It, we've, we've had that awkward thing where um 
Alan Duretton it was since I last see him, maybe six years. I say six years, yeah. And, uh, and you just kind of want to do that normal sort of conversation where it's like, oh, how you been? What have you been up to? But then you have to ask it again during the podcast and it sounds false. Yeah. So it's like, I was like, well, let's not say too much. Let's just get into it. And, uh, and so, are you well? I'm, I'm doing really well, yeah. I'm cool. Doing really well. Yeah, very busy and very well. Yeah. All right, we'll, we'll get on to what you're busy with as this podcast unfolds. I was thinking the last time I saw you was possibly in here, in the Queen of Hoxton, when you come down um, with Mark, I believe, uh, and DJ'd for me and Matt. Right, yeah. Um, alternatively, we stumbled across you and... I'm, I'm dreading, uh, I'm waiting for no, you to No, start, no, no, no. Me, me and Matt put a night on a, um, oh God, what was the venue called? And I think the Future Heads played live and, and you turned up with a couple of the Maccabees and we was in a little back room at the University of London. Was it yeah. No, I see, I can't remember, Central London. Yeah. And, uh, and you, we, we all got very, very drunk that yeah, night. Room, I yeah. think that might have been... One of the last times here. You did venture at <laughs> yeah. a toothbrush and DJ'd for me once, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, ventured down there a couple of times. All right. yeah. So, uh, well, we'll, yeah. we'll get into... We've got, we've got some history. Some clubbing in Essex <laughs> as, this, as this unfolds. And, uh, all right, well, look, we can obviously go through your, your track list tonight, but like any episode, I always sort of say, we'll kick things off um, with the song that has the greatest intro. It has, in my opinion, it has got the greatest intro of all time. And that song is... That is a song for the dead right. by the Queens of the Stone Age. I know you're a big fan of them, aren't you? I'm a huge fan of those, yeah. yeah. I've, 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 for many years, many years, have been my favourite band. It's a pretty fuck-off intro, isn't it? It's, it's, it is the greatest intro of all time. I think, yeah. like, you know, I think out of all of, all of the, uh, the requests of the tracks that you asked, like, um, that was the first one. I was like, well, that's easy. So there was no other considerations <laughs> no, for that? No, no, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was the one. Like, um, is this as as a drummer, a Queen's just like and 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 growl was growl on this album. He was, this wasn't was, he? Yeah, this is the big growl record. And, yeah, um, it's it's like it's it's a fantastic, it's a masterpiece of a record. It's yeah. a, the greatest concept record I think has ever been made, and all the songs are linked between. There's a radio station flicking over from song to song. That's the concept mm -hmm. of of a journey that you're going through and you're listening to the to the record, but each station is playing a different song. Yeah. And and just that as a concept alone is is incredible. Yeah. Um, and how it's pieced together, the production on it is amazing. But then the the musicianship on each part is is mind blowing. And mm. you and you know it's probably for me it's probably Grohl's Grohl's greatest record. Um, I mean apart from you know well all the Nirvana stuff, but I mean yeah. Um, but it's, it's something that you you can just you can hear what he's playing and, and to like to every every stroke that he's playing it's it's absolutely incredible and he's kind of almost been given the free reign to like let free on drum fills and 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 stuff like that so it's yeah it's a, a fantastic record especially that song yeah did you go and see him the other week I did see them the other week yeah in Finsbury Park yeah decent fantastic yeah Re yeah mind blowing okay so as a as a as a songwriter and uh, and and, and you know, producer, like intro, super key. It's uh, the intro well, for as an intro to be key to the song. Yeah, yeah. I think that, uh, like 
I think more so than ever now, it needs to be. You've, like, you've, you know, they say, say the streaming downloads, when you're streaming a song, you, people listen to a song for eight seconds before they click to the next song. And they might yeah. not, you know, and if they're, if they're not interested within eight seconds, they click to the next song. That's yeah, what yeah, they yeah. say. Um, so now it's more important than ever. Um, That's crazy, right? Because, from, you know, as, as a DJ, I get that you've got eight seconds to get them dancing or yeah. they're going to disappear and get a beer. Yeah. But it's interesting that you say now in that kind of... Because music moves so fast now, right? And people are saturated with choice. Yeah. And whereas for me growing up, it was, I could afford one album, so I bought that vinyl yeah. and, and I listened to that yeah. and, and I absorbed it all. But now I guess in that Spotify generation, if you're and, not there in eight seconds, yeah. there's a constant stream of stuff saying, you may like this, you may like this. Yeah, you've got, you've got all those, you, every, every option It's like, well, if you're listening to this, you may also like, you know, these other 12 bands <laughs> listed yeah, sure. below and you're already clicking on those. Oh, I've never heard of those, never heard of those. So you're yeah. clicking through. And so you have only, you've got like minimal seconds to, to, to be hooked, you know, into, into a band or into a song or into a concept or an idea. It's a shame, isn't it, that you can't just relax and make the music turn you want to... Turn a record, yeah, turn a vinyl yeah, record on, you know. You know, you've got, a, you've got that sort of time frame to, to yeah. pull them in and hold them there now. It's a shame, I mean, it is a shame for that, but it's also like, you know, the, it's an incredible thing because you're, you know, the, the availability of music is, is so yeah. massive, it's so wide now. And you can, you've got any option that someone says, oh, you need to check these guys out. Yeah. You're straight on to, you can, you can check them all out. And people who sound like that. So. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword, right? I yeah. think for every, every con that a 45-year-old me moan about, I guess there's probably a 14-year-old a kid with no money in his bedroom thanking his lucky stars that he's got Spotify and he can just explore the whole world of music and develop his tastes yeah. you know, uh, you know, in his own time. Yeah. Okay, so going to move on to track two, um, where I asked you what the first song that you remember hearing that had a, an emotional impact on you. And that's, that can be like happy, sad, like, you know, just something that really kind of yeah. struck you, that it jolted you to the point where, you know, you was aware that this wasn't necessarily something disposable. It, yeah. it resonated. Um, yeah, so it's Black by Pearl Jam. Right, and, my um, tune. Again, a masterpiece. <laughs> this was this was probably the toughest one for me to answer because I think that all music has always emotionally charged me, as you say, happy or sad or in a positive or negative way. And um, I feel like this track was the was the one that just like just really kind of almost brought me to my knees, really really yeah. kind of brought tears to my eyes, you know. Yeah. Um, and just you know, there's, there's something about that that entire record again. Yeah. They're kind of all of them play. It's, they play to the, the best of their abilities. Lyrically, it's incredible. Lyric, lyrics, like, the, the, the line, the, "I hope one day you have a beautiful yeah, life," and yeah. like that's that's yeah. incredible. And have you seen them perform it live? I've I've seen them a couple of times play, and and I, they didn't play that. Song. Really? They've got to play it. And they didn't play it. I saw them at Hyde Park a few years ago. I saw them way back as well. Um, but I saw them at Hyde Park and and they played it literally as the sun was going down. The whole crowd was doing the do 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 yeah. at the end, and it was lovely. And then he doesn't do it often, but Eddie just screamed that "We belong, we belong together" yeah. at the end, and oh, it was like yeah. every kind of Pearl Jam box I needed ticking was just <laughs> yeah. ticked in that moment. It was 
it was lovely. Um, how old was you when, when you first heard that? Because that's uh, kind of, how old are you, Christian? I'm, I'm 38. Right, so you're, you're a lot younger than me, so that must have, either you come to it a little I, bit later than... Yeah, um, I, I, was pro- I was probably um, 12, 13, I think. Uh, so I think it came out in 90, 92, maybe mm-hmm. 91, 92. Um, so it was a couple of years after it had come out, and, and, I, and I think it was when the grunge scene was really like hitting hard, yeah. um, you know, in all the places in Essex, yeah. the Hollywoods, and the Ireland, and um, and I was kind of I was going to the, like nightclubs at eight, like fourteen years old. Yeah. I was kind of tall enough to yeah. kind of sit sit through the net. Yeah, and um, so I, that's where I started really kind of like hearing the music my, my, my peers were listening to. And, yeah. Um, where, where was this? Or where was you born? I was born in Romford. Okay. And, yeah. Um, and I, I think I moved to Brentwood in 95, 96. Um, That's two yeah. quite different places, aren't they? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, Romford's, yeah. you know, with a great respect, pretty rough, right? Yeah, very rough, yeah. Um, well, well, especially back then. I mean, yeah. 90, up to 95. Um, and Brentwood's quite nice, right? Yeah, yeah. Got lots of trees. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lots of people have got tans there, so it must be sunny. <laughs> it's sunny Brentwood. I call it sunny Brentwood. I think my, my missus actually thought it was called sunny Brentwood until, until she went, oh, it's Brentwood. Like, I always called it sunny Brentwood. Yeah. So how did that affect you emotionally, that track? Like, you know, what was it about it that... Uh, just, I suppose, the, the passion in his voice about how his delivery of it yeah. um, and... The lyrical content, as you say, yeah. and uh, no Sunday, you have a beautiful night. Yeah. It's like, it's, it straight away hits you. And, yeah. you can, and I think, as I say, like, music has always kind of emotionally charged me. And, it, and at that young age of, of feeling emotion like that, that I'd not felt before. Yeah. I think like pre kind of, pre Nirvana and, and Pearl Jam, and that, that I, was a, I was a big, big grunge, grunge yep. fan. Um, I was kind of listening to kind of Def Leppard and um, uh, Led Zeppelin and kind of more stuff that my dad might, might have shown me through from like the 70s and 80s. Um, and so kind of when, it, when I hit the 90s, when I hit to like 11, 12, 13 years old and I was listening to Rage Against the Machine, Dog Eat Dog and yeah. Beastie Boys and all that yeah. stuff, I was kind of... It, 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 I, I had my own my own opinions yeah. of music then. It wasn't something. But do you think they were formed from? Because was like you said about the stuff that like your parents listened to. Was there always music on indoors growing up? Yeah, massively. Yeah, my, I mean, my dad used to. If we were if we were having a lane on on Saturday morning, he'd turn the hi-fi up as as loud as possible with like Led Zeppelin or yeah. the Doors or or something. And until we got out of bed, yeah, I'd give in to my dad. Okay, we're getting out of bed. <laughs> That's a decent but a good thing to. I mean, I, I, you know. I was never spoilt to the point where I got to listen to like, my dad. My dad weren't playing the doors, <laughs> he, I know. You thought he was punishing like, us, Yeah, <laughs> that's, really that's an education right yeah. there. Fantastic. So did you kind of... Yeah, so for most people of that era, you know, maybe a few years before you, like my, my introduction to the doors was pretty much the, the film, you know? Yeah. And, and that was the... You know, I, I think I'm not far off the money by saying that really reignited people's interest in, in that band, you yeah. know? And, yeah. and it was a big introduction to me and most of my museo mates, you know, yeah. was... Yeah, I suppose that must have been around 95, 96, I feel. No, way before that. I'd, I'd say that was 91, 92. Right. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, like my and as as, um, as you say, it's the same with my sister. Kind of, what, I remember she like she loved Val Kilmer. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. So like, oh, and, so, and she only watched it because she loved Val Kilmer. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the Doors were her favorite favorite band. And, yeah. Um, and so yeah, as I say, my dad thought he was punishing with us with, with his choice of music, but he wasn't. He was like, yeah, you know, fantastic. Yeah. So was it specifically Black, or was it was Ten a big album for you as well? Ten was Ten was the I mean for me was the album. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was everywhere. Every nightclub went to there. They played probably three or four songs yeah. off the album. Yeah, and um, I guess the difference, you know, we, we'll talk about other grunge bands because I know they do feature in your. Your, your song choices tonight, Chris. But I think saying you was brought up on things like Zeppelin, yeah. I think, you know, the, the, the genre of grunge that was going on there, there was very obvious divides in, you know, you know, your Nirvanas and stuff like that. And Pearl Jam definitely had more leanings towards that traditional rock sound, right? Yeah. There was, you know, yeah. lengthy guitar solos and it was yeah. far more, well, I won't say proggy, but it was far more traditional rock than, yeah, tra yeah, than sure. you know, than the likes of Tad and, and, and Nirvana and, and yeah. you know, Pixies and stuff. Yeah, like. yeah absolutely. It's like, I suppose there's more kind of like the, blue, like the blue scales were being used and, and in, yeah. in Pearl Jam and, and Soundgarden. And, um, yeah, and the, and the, simpli but the simplicity of Nirvana, and, as you say, like the Pixies and stuff, like that yeah. kind of like stripped it right back and, yeah. and said, oh, well, anyone can make a song, you know, yeah, anyone, yeah, yeah. Can, anyone can make a great song now yeah. out of three chords, you know. Yeah. And that kind of, that's, I suppose, was that, that was the inspiring part, more so than anything. Well, if, well, I can't, I, if once I've learned three chords, I can write a great song. Yeah. So I still, I'm still learning three chords now. They work for status quo, mate. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, all right, mate, well, look, for track three, um, I asked you to pick a song that reminds you of school days. And, and looking at that, this is, this is secondary school, right? It would have been secondary school, yeah. And that was in Brentwood? Brentwood, yeah. Right, okay. So I, I was, even though I was living in Romford at the time, I was getting the bus up to Brentwood. And I think my, my parents always wanted to move out of Romford and, and get to Brentwood. Yeah. That was the goal. Um, so I spent many more, well, spent every morning uh, travelling to Brentwood. But listening to music, I remember having a, my, my Sony Discman or my, my Walkman yeah. at the time and uh, listening to tapes and CDs on the, on the bus on the way into school. Um, yeah, and that that being that being one of them, and I remember like feel, feeling like in bloom, and kind of I remember hearing it, and it was, like, and it just reminds me of the spring and kind of yeah. going into school, and like when you said it's so weird. So many guests that have been on here have said that they went to school not in the town they grew up in, yeah. uh, that sorry the town they were living in, and would literally. That so many of their song choices were picked from what they listened to yeah. on their headphones going to school, on the way in. like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so could you could you tell there was an obvious difference in in like the whole stylings of like the differences between Nirvana as you've obviously chosen in Bloomia, you know, from the likes of Pearl Jam, or was it just at that age? Was it just this is grunge music? I th or I, th I, sp I suppose more so that Nirvana was the like the epitome of grunge. Yeah. They, you know. For want of a better description, poster boys, I guess, weren't they? Yeah. But I suppose Eddie was as well, wasn't he? He was the handsome. Yeah, like Eddie and, and you know Chris. Yeah. You know, like they were, they were like, they were poster boys as well. But at the same time, it wasn't. It was more so the rock, like as you say, the classic rock sounding. Yeah. Um, I think, as as you said, it was like they, they Pearl Jam were closer to Led Zeppelin than. Yeah. So I, I think what I was trying to do at that time when I was 11, 12, 13 years old was actually. Have my own opinions, have my own thoughts of what 
oh, I'm going to show you something, Dad. Now, like I've got, I've got a surprise for you. Check out this band, Nirvana. Or yeah. yeah. Um, whereas I think he, if I'd showed him Pearl Jam more, so he'd probably been like, oh, well, that's closer to what. Yeah, yeah. It's just a, a lead yeah. from what he's kind of brought me up on. Um, so there was a big difference. There, there was, um, um, but it was all labelled. It was all kind of lumped under grunge. How did you find that going from? what I imagine was probably a bit more of a raucous school in Romford to maybe going to a school in Brentwood, which, you know, might have been a little bit posher for want of a better description. Yeah, I think I was like, I was the only guy with long hair. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> did you, did you, did you fit in all right? You know, did you enjoy school? No, I hated it. Really? <laughs> yeah. I couldn't stand it. Yeah. But I mean, it was there, like, I, so I started playing guitar when I was 10 and then uh, in, in music class, I, I was, uh, I remember playing something on a snare drum or something, and my music teacher said, "Oh, you should not worry about the guitar, and you should be a drummer." Really? Yeah. And I was thir 12, 13 at the time, and um, my uncle was a was a drummer in the 60s in a band, um, and uh, so I got home that day, and my my mum said, "Oh, my brother, you know, my brother's got a drum kit in the shed somewhere. Yeah. Um, we should we should dust it off. You should give it a go, kind of thing." So, yeah, that's what we're doing. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So, if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search off the beat and track podcast and you can listen to all the songs because i've put playlists up for each of these if you can't find it on there i'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode so you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks anyway i'll shut up get back to the podcast see you on the other side so did you feel did you feel like a connection to, to people in, at school was there anyone else like was there your was there your group of grungers that you know that not so much. There, there was a, there was a, a small amount of people, probably eight, ten people in my year that yeah. was kind of in, into the alternative music, you know, and they, and they kind of introduced me to like bands like Radiohead and stuff yeah. like that towards towards the end of my school life. Um, and my first, the first band that I kind of the first band I played drums with was in the school one day, and I got pretty stoned, and um, it was my first gig. I was like, really nervous. Yeah, got really stoned, and then everything went wrong, and everything broke on the kit. Yeah. And I remember the beaters flying off the kick drum. And Where so was this gig? This was at the Hermit in Brentwood. Okay, so the Hermit, I don't think it's there anymore, is it? Is oh, I'm not hundred percent sure. I don't know. I, but the Hermit was like, if I remember rightly, I only went there once. It was in Brentwood, wasn't it? Yeah, and yeah. and it was kind of every band's sort of first live venue to play at, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think in the end it didn't even have a bar that you you couldn't get booze in there at some point. And I, I know that I went there, watched my mates band, and got there, and there was no booze. And I was like, "What's this all about?" But uh, but did even in like them, you know, you said that the gig went wrong, and well, I got sacked the next day. So. I was about to say, did you still enjoy it? But clearly, fucking not. Yeah. So I remember I went into school the next day, and they were like, "Yeah, so we need to talk. Uh, yeah, you can't be in this. You can't you can't be in this band anymore." I was like, "Okay." How much that felt though? Yeah, I mean, it, it, did oh, it felt, it felt, yeah, it felt shit. Yeah. <laughs> so what? Did you then think, right? Well, I'm gonna form a band. 
Yeah, I just, I just carried on playing. I just, got, just carried on playing. So my, it was kind of at the end around that time. It was like the end of the recession was was happening at that time, and my as my parents had bought the house in Brentwood. And they couldn't sell the house that we had in Romford, so we had this empty house, and it was a deta detached house in, in kind of, there was a derelict house next to one side. Was a, the other house was, they'd moved to Africa, I think. They were good friends of ours and moved to Africa. And so that was empty, so we had two empty houses. Well, she going to do, we but set uh, Empty house, and so I was like, oh, well. Yes, so I had, a, I, had a, I had an empty house for two, three years. Um, and we set up, I just set up the drum kit and threw a, threw a, threw a, a few amps in there. Stole the keys from my dad every weekend and just locked, locked ourselves in the house for, for three days. So at that point, you'd kind of, obviously, you'd been, you'd had your debut, you'd been sacked the next Same. day. And then, so what, at that point, you'd, had you left school by then? Um, I had, no, I was, I was still I was still in school, so I'd, I'd jump, I was kind of jumping back on the bus now, and I was going, leaving school on yeah. a Friday and jumping back on the bus back to, yeah. back to Romford. Right. Um, so what you literally found other people at school that could play, or was it outside of school? And yeah, it's a bit, a couple, I feel like a bunch of us. There's probably about ten, twelve of us. That, and it, was, it was all people out outside of the school. Yeah. The school, and they all kind of came from Upminster and um, Hornchurch, and, and they kind of taught me how to play drums. Really, they were a few couple of years older than me. Yeah. Um, and we just turn up on a Friday night and start playing those, all the beats to. Yeah. Like, I think the first drum beat that we kind of like we locked down was a dog eat dog, uh, no front. No front. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> and it was like I, I remember just like oh, I remember a guy called Rob and he was like playing it. I was like, oh, you've got to teach me how to play that. And yeah. so it was, yeah, that was that's what we did for three years. You know, nice. Like learning all the silver chair and all that stuff coming out after that. So, so the next track I asked, um, which is track four, is the first record that you remember buying. And so we're going to go back a, a few years here. I, sh I really should switch track three and track four around the other way because uh, as soon as I talk about the school day songs, everyone goes kind of tail end of secondary school. Generally, yeah. most people have mentioned Nirvana or Green Day and their, their entry point into, into guitar music. Um, so track four, um, Chris, was the first record that, that you purchased. Yeah, um, it was actually on tape cassette. And um, yeah, it was Michael Jackson's bad record. I mean, that's um, a solid choice, right? Yeah, there's nothing to be ashamed of there. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I remember the cassettes were like fifteen quid back then. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, so I saved up quite a bit of cash for it. But I, I remember being like eight, eight, nine years old, and it was in HMV, I think, in, in Brentwood High Street. Yeah, but it was. I mean, that, that closed down years and years. Yeah, ago. HMV, I think. Yeah, and um, yeah, I just remember like by, by the end of that whole period of tape cassettes it was like they would whittle down to about 30 tapes yeah, yeah, yeah. before they kind of finally gave in and said yeah. we'll get rid of the tapes but yeah that was that was the first record I bought um, and I've still got it I've still got it in yeah at home it's uh, one of the only albums was, was every track a single I think it was yeah and yeah is it your favourite Jackson album um question I think uh, well between that and off the wall I think yeah uh, the two did you get to see him I didn't no, uh, no I, I, I kind of missed it my, my missus seen him twice uh, on, she saw him on bad and, and dangerous and it's like do you know what it's really weird because I never got to see Prince either right uh, did you see Prince I didn't know 
and they're, they're two massive acts for me. And like, but, but growing up, I look at them acts, and, and they were mainstream pop acts. Yeah. You know, but people look back, more so on Prince now, and, and rightly so, as, as a groundbreaking artist, you know, because he wrote, produced, played. But yeah. at the time, it was pop music to me. Yeah. So I thought, right, I'm, I'm going to throw myself out on a whimmy. And I went to watch Bruno Mars on Saturday at Hyde Park. And I thought, I'm going to watch it because this guy, right, <laughs> yeah. plays, yeah. produces all this pop music, dances fucking incredibly, strong voice. I thought, I'm going to go and watch him because maybe in 20 years' time, people might even look back and go, yeah, that pop star. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, that was a mainstream pop star gets yeah. looked back more. You as, missed, as, out, missed out on Jack Jackson. And, and like, Prince. yeah. Get, let's get Bruno Mars exactly. in now. <laughs> Even though, do you know what I actually done? I went and watched Madonna at Hyde Park a few years ago and oh, I was so disappointed, mate. It was like, I expected just, I guess being old as fuck, I just wanted to go there and hear Lucky Star and get into the groove. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. she literally just played the new album and it was like, come on, like people just leaving in droves. It yeah, was yeah, it was yeah. such a shame, mate. But uh, anyway, I'm digressing on, uh, on, 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 <laughs> no. on the records that I bought. So, uh, <laughs> so did, did it... Had you just like heard, or, I mean, or maybe even seen the video of Bad? Like, cause I think it was. I think I probably saw... The video to Speed Demon, I think. Yeah. Like, I, nice. I think that kind of like. Was like, that the animated one? With the rabbit. Yeah. From Moonwalker, off. right? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember seeing that video and just like them on the bikes and like the animation. And it was, you know, it's the crossover between watching the animation and seeing like some, a guy who's almost kind of like. Even then, before, before so he's like a parody of himself. Yeah. You know, uh, but also. Dressed in all like le- like leather buckles, all and buckles like, it was a rock yeah. star, you know, and, and you're just like, wow, who is it? Who the fuck's this guy? Yeah, and um, just just being just totally blown away at eight or nine years old by yeah. it, you know, um, and I, I need that record. I need that record. Yeah, and yeah, so that was it, really. Solid choice, but mate. Now, but now looking back at it as well, like you know, I still put those tracks on now, and they still stand up. Absolutely. You know, and like even the earlier stuff, like the off the wall record, and you you go to a lot of a lot of bars now, and they're still playing. Like, Want to be starting something, and, and like all the big Jacksons, all the Quincy Jones. Do you know what I, I honestly think that as a DJ, the only song that I think I've ever dropped where instantly, and it's just you get out of jail free card. Whatever night you're doing, if you drop, don't stop till you get enough. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's an intro. Like, the minute that drops, I mean, it's just pure disco at its yeah. best, right? Yeah. And, like, and I, you can't keep still to it. No. And it's like, and, and the same you want to be starting something, do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, fuck me, what a baseline. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> all right, mate, well, look, let's move on to, to track four. And so we're going to get on to, to kind of, I guess, even though you said you was 14 when you was, was, was clubbing, um, sort of maybe sort of post school and, and, and you know I guess that's the time when you start to really sort of develop your tastes and I guess girls get involved and stuff like that then do you know what I mean beer starts popping up and like yeah. and, and so I asked you to pick the song that soundtracked your time your, your clubbing years yeah um, so it's Beastie Boys Sabotage um, again it was kind of led from Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. 
Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A video, I suppose, just remembering the video and, like, the, the car chase and yeah. everything. Um, but, like, as far as the clubbing, it was, like, without foul, every week, every, every club you went, like, oh, there's only a couple that let me in, really, at yeah. that age. And what would I... Um, that was the island in Ilford yep. and Hollywood's in Romford yep. and later on was like when I was, I was old enough then but the RM1 in Romford yep. as well and, um, but yeah at 14, I was going to the island at 14 and, um, and Sabotage was just without foul and there's two, two floors to it um, I don't know if you, you remember it I don't know if you it's in it. Punters um, uh, the he, I think he was doing downstairs yeah. was he? it turned into bubble gum or something in the that's end. right yeah yeah, yeah. And upstairs was like the heavy, like the grunge of rock yeah. upstairs. So we all went upstairs. Well, me and the lads walked upstairs. And um, but it's funny because say there's two floors upstairs. They play it, and we'd all get smashed up there. And then we're like, right by the end of the night, that kind of closed an hour early. Then downstairs to bring everybody down. Yeah, you'd come downstairs, and they'd be and they'd be playing it downstairs. Yeah, yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. It was kind of one of those tracks that kind of transcended absolutely the indie. Like the indie rock, yeah. and like the real heavy alternative yeah. rock as well, um, and so we got to listen to that track like twice a night, you know. And I mean, I, I saw on social media the other day someone just shared them on Letterman doing it, and oh, yeah. it's just fucking incredible. It still sounds just yeah. off the scale. Yeah, amazing. And, yeah. uh, that, I mean, I imagine sales of fake moustaches probably went through the roof after that video came out. Yeah. You know, it yeah. was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it was just the coolest video, and and, and it's it's weird because, again, at, at my age, my introduction to to kind of anything raucous was licensed to ill. That dropped as I started yeah. secretary school, so yeah. it was so weird to kind of experience that. And then yeah. they sort of disappeared, and I hadn't really kept up with Paul's boutique and and, yeah. and check your head. And then all of a sudden, they've just reappeared with. Yeah fucking sabotage yeah. like, what the fuck is this and what an album yeah I mean, I mean that that was again that was that was my big record for, for them, yeah. them guys and it was like um, every track on there um, blew my mind like and I learned I think every pretty much every lyric on that yeah. whole record and um, only recently um, uh, I picked up the the loops it's the Beastie Boys loops record right and it's all the loops used on that okay on, on the 
um, your communication record. So um, I've got that at home, and it's just it, the original versions of all like Flute Loop, but the original. My favourite track on the album. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I was like, hold on a sec, because right. on the back of that record you've got 20, 20 yeah, guys standing yeah. there. I was like, oh, that's all the music. Yeah. Like being fourteen years old, I'm pretty naive. I'm like, well, oh, that's all the guys who played the flute and the double yeah, bass yeah, and yeah, all yeah, yeah, yeah. But now heard the all the original loops, yeah. the original versions. Do you know what we obviously we mentioned Prince and Jackson earlier, and and obviously they've all you know passed away in recent times, and it, we was talking about musicians dying the other day, and I don't think any of them really kind of obviously sad, but when MCA died. It was just that proper got me. I just thought yeah. there's someone that was probably like, as I mentioned a minute ago, like was one of my entry points into raucous kind of yeah. music. And right up to the last record they released, I've played in the clubs for the last 25 years and just yeah. think they're just, you know, that th they evolved as much as the likes of Bowie and Prince. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Everything they done was a complete, you know, they just evolved and, yeah, and, and every record was every record was quite different, wasn't yeah. it? And it was, you know, it, it, as you say, it travelled through and transcended through like punk and hip hop and and jazz and yeah. and everything. It was like Ill communication, load. a prime example. Yeah. You know, it's literally hardcore jazz <laughs> yeah. and like it's literally a, a and they just looked cool as fuck all the time, yeah. right? Like yeah. they just looked incredible. Yeah. Uh, um, so. Was you doing like cause a, a lot of the guests that have been on have, have have gone to their specialist nights, you know, whether that be they're into drum and bass or they're into alternative music. But did you have your token night where you would go to the kind of the tanny cheesy club where you might get to score with a girl? Um, well, that was I suppose that was the island though. It was the kind of you know even though I was kind of dressed in all the alternative, the heavy alternative yeah. clothing, I'd we'd get booted out and we'd kind of managed to sneak like stay in the indie club yeah where all the hot girls <laughs> <laughs> so where so, was you yeah where was you music wise at this point was you playing seriously then was you like no, no, i was i was well i was i was playing but I, you know i wasn't um I, I had a couple of little things on the go but i, I wasn't uh, what band was the first band you felt like okay this is this is probably in kilkus right um and we started that uh when i was seven, 16 17 uh, so maybe 17, 18, yeah. Um, yeah, and we signed signed a deal at 19 and released the record when I was 21. So it was a quite a long journey between kind of starting it and five years later we'd done a record. Um, and that was quite like, quite a heavy sound, like quite quite um, hard, like hardcore. It had all the influences of all these bands we're you know talking about. Um, a lot of kind of it was about British hard, British UK hardcore mm -hmm. mixed with like rapping and kind of. The the, Ameri the Americanism, I suppose, of that kind of rebel over. So how did that feel, at, you know, late teens to, you know, someone that sort of went to school in a, a school where, you know, you was the only one with long hair to yeah. all of a sudden kind of accomplish signing a record deal and, you know, being able to make the best part of a living out of um, doing, you know, doing something you've, you know that you wanted to do. I think I think that's that's the beauty of music. I think that you that you can use music to escape all those things that um, that you don't want you you don't you know don't want in your life almost you know or you want to you just want to get away from it and yeah. you can use music to to help you get there. Um, I think that's what I did more so than anything. Kind of get, finding a, finding a bunch of guys that were kind of into the same thing as as I was or. 
and, uh, and then getting into a rehearsal room and rehearsing three nights a week uh, and having parents and having my dad drop me down with a drum kit. You know, it's, being a drummer is never the yeah, easiest thing. Yeah. Um, Your parents were on board, complete supporters. Yeah, yeah. They've, yeah, they've always been, you know, uh, you know, cursing my name most of the time for having to pick me up at midnight for yeah. rehearsal. But at the same time, like, you know, they, 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 they did what they never, they never you know, said it was bad. They yeah. Keep at it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, I guess at this point we should, you know, we should get in the fact that, you know, after Kilkus, what bands was there after Kilkus? Um, moved on to another Brentwood band, actually, the Garami. With Bob? With Bob. Yeah. Bob Garami. Blimey. And Scott Garami. Bob was, Bob was, he was at college before me, and I remember my first ever day at, at Tharrett Tech, going in, and this guy had long purple hair, and was desperately trying to be Ian Asprey, and, uh, <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, he looks pretty cool, and, uh, and uh, yeah, we become, we become buddies, and yeah, he was, uh, he was a good guitarist, if I remember Fantastic, rightly. Fantastic, yeah, awesome. Um, you know, we're talking about the, cl- that cl- the classic rock sounding mm. guitarist back then he was like you know the, the best best in town you know? mm. um, and I think I remember the, I was um, the youngest Scott the singer was five years older than me and Bob was another couple of years older than that um, you're being kind there yeah <laughs> 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 um, but I um, I remember kind of joining joining the band and they like saying oh we, you know we saw you we saw you five years ago, or four, three or four years ago, with Kilkers and yeah. Drew Falls, and I, and um, it was like, oh, we've got to get that guy playing drums, kind of thing. So when they found out that the the Kilkers and Drew Falls had split, I, they kind of gave me a call, basically. Um, and we had a great time. We had a great kind of three or four years of recording and releasing a little EP, and um, and just travelling up and down the UK, um, doing gigs and festivals and it was really good and it was like I, th- I think it was kind of the first first band you know and I was 23 by then and the first band I kind of I didn't feel I didn't feel so much pressure it was like I had to be doing so much technical stuff and doing all this, the fiddly drum parts and and it was just like kind of balls out three-piece rock and roll yeah and it was like and it was just a lot of fun and I could drink necks and beers and yeah. go on stage and just have fun with it yeah. as opposed to I've got to stay sober until uh, until the end of the gig, kind yeah. of thing. You know, um, maybe that was the fear of the, being sacked after my first gig. <laughs> thing, <but laughs> still there. <laughs> so, so how did the Florence gig come along then? Um, so that was a few years later. So I, from Garami, I started drum teching uh, and drum tech for a few bands, um, and ended up. Who was you drum teching for now? Cause it, oh. it started with a band called Rooster, which were. Yep. I remember those guys. Uh, ended up, but ended up with, after a few bands, I did cameo for a bit. Are you well, serious? For, for, a couple, for a couple of gigs, like two or three gigs. See, that was yeah. my first ever gig. Oh, was it? And I saw them two years ago at the Jazz Cafe. <laughs> no. And uh, Charlie Singleton's one of the greatest guitarists I've ever <laughs> fucking seen. <laughs> Wow, amazing, amazing. Yeah. that's fucking great! It was, it was it was like back it was like backline teching for a few gigs, but it was like that was that was quite fun. And then you know just like a bit of like one off gigs and stuff I was doing, but I ended up doing it kind of pretty much full time with um, with Razorlight. All right, and I was with them for like eighteen months, and um, 
from there, I you know. Where when was this in Razorlight's career? Was this first album? This or? was the second record. Their second record. America and all of that yeah. stuff, yeah. Um, and it was just called Razorlight, I think. The, the white record with the, yep. the four, four of them on the front. <clears throat> and they did. Um, it was. I think it was their like the height of their game. They headlined. So it was Andy the drummer then? Andy, yeah. So I worked yep. closely with him. Yeah. Um, and. Um, Yes, yeah, so they did. Els- they did two nights at Els Court, I think, and like Reading and Leeds headline, and, and they were doing like a lot of big stuff. And um, I kind of befriended the um, like on tour guy, uh, who is the the tour assistant basically, and he ended up playing guitar with Florence. And Johnny came in to do some songwriting, and that's kind of how the connection was made in the end. And then. Rob, Rob, it was Rob. Rob, yeah. And Rob said, you know, gave me a call, call and said, do you want to come and play some drums with this this chick that I'm playing playing guitar with? And I was like, it was like a totally unknown kind of thing. And uh, yeah, so went down. I got the phone call the day before. I was actually living with this guy by the time. Uh, I got the phone call the day before um, and said, oh, we're going in tomorrow into the studio to record this track. We'll send you over some demos of like some rough ideas. And that was that was kissed with a fist, and like right. so they sent it over, and it was like really. There was like seven different versions, and they all sounded so different. They all sounded like like melancholic version of Kiss with a Fist, and this and that. And um, and it didn't. None of them obviously had drums on it, and I, so I was like, sat down and thought like thought about it for a good few hours that day, and kind of like really worked out what it needed to be. So I got into the studio the next day and, and to, into the rehearsal. The pre pre recording rehearsal chair. I said, What this needs to be is like a, a two minute Rolling Stones tune. It needs to be like a like high energy, two and a half minutes done, first chorus, first chorus, guitar solo, chorus end kind of thing. And that's what it ended up being. So we went in, wrote the drum part, and went in the next day, recorded it, and uh, and that went onto the record. And that, that kind of made it. So that was the first thing I did in the first phone call, really. Um, yeah. And so did. Did you know at that point this this is pretty decent? Was it apparent? It, 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 you could tell that she. I mean, she's she's always had something. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah, it was, yeah. I think straight away, just like yeah, great. I think like at that point, my, the the biggest part was I was working kind of full time with the Razorlight, and I and had this opportunity, possible opportunity. That she didn't have a record deal, she didn't have anything, she didn't have any signing or anything, and um, I had, I kind of it got to the point where it started getting a little bit busier, even though there was no not really any money involved in it at all. Um, but I had to make a choice of like playing again or or sticking with a well paid well paid job yeah. with an established band. And um, again, I went back to my dad and said, what, "What should I do?" And he said, "You know, follow follow your heart. Follow, what what have you what's brought you here?" Why are you here? And I was like, well, because I've been playing drums for this long, and I was like, well, that's your answer, kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I ended up choosing <laughs> choosing to go with Florence. You played with Florence for how many years? Uh, it's about 11, about ten and a half years. Yeah. So, for listeners, you know, which I'm sure none of my listeners have ever experienced it. What is it like to to headline? You know these these monster festivals um it's well it's it's pretty nerve-wracking yeah it's yeah it's, how do you control that 
Uh, I, don't, I don't think you can. I don't think, like, it's just adrenaline. It's just nerves. Yeah. And I think in a lot of the time, those, those things help more yeah. so than anything else. I think kind of like you, you get out and you go, right, I've got, I, I can't fuck up here. Yeah. You can't fuck up. Yeah. You know. But um, do you know what? It's, it's weird because, and I'm sure most of my mates from Essex that, that, that know you, whenever we would watch Glastonbury and, and Florence would be on, we'd be watching you, you know, because, and, and obviously I knew Mark as well. And, and, and so, and you always looked well comfortable. You, you never looked like someone that was, was nervous. If you did, you hit it well. Yeah, I think like, like as you're walking out, or like the, the 10 minutes leading up, the 10 minutes leading up to Glastonbury especially was like, Probably the most, the most tense ten minutes of all of our. I mean, there was eleven of us, I think, twelve of us on stage, of all of our lives ever. And it was like for exactly eleven people queuing up for like six or seven nervous pisses before they go <laughs> <Yeah>. on. After me, after me, I've got to go like, me first. <laughs> me first. Um, it was so tense. It was like, you know, I think even Flo came to me and she's like, she's like. Is there any way we don't have to do this? Can we? Is there any way we can just go home now? And I was like, um, no, <laughs> we, we can't. there's no way we can go home. Yeah. We, we, we've got this. Don't worry, we've we got it. And so, had your parents seen these these sort of shows as well? Had they, you know, did you sort of? Yeah, yeah. They've always come to like. They've always come come out to the, to the shows. I think like, I always try and get like you know like most theatres have like the Queen's box. Yeah. So I always try and get my my dad the Queen's box. That's amazing, oh, right? <laughs> my mum. <laughs> like, that must be... I mean, did you feel the pressure knowing they were there? Or was it like, that was a blip No, I of... think if anything, it eases... It, it actually... No, yeah. yeah. I think it's weird, like, like, big gigs, small gigs, I think, like, it, every gig is... is, is there's, there's nerves involved. Yeah. Um, in the last like, 80, 18 months, I've been working on my own stuff and been playing, like, doing a few little gigs, just me playing, me and, me and a couple of guys, but I'm playing guitar and, and we're doing, like, a dual vocal thing. And it's like, I've got more nerves, I think, doing that in front of 25 people walking out and yeah. playing guitar because I've, you know, I haven't played guitar for 10 years. Yeah. And I get more nervous doing that. Than it's good to challenge yourself, though, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, what, what, you know, we shouldn't overlook the fact that, you know, throughout your time in Florence, you got married and, you know, yeah, children yeah. there. And yeah, is yeah, four going on. Yeah. And and you, am I right? I say I might be wrong here, but. Lion Coffee... Lion Coffee and Records, yeah. Right, yeah, so th that, that, this was set up a few years ago now, wasn't it? That was about four years ago as well, yeah. Cause I think, like, the, the, I didn't really realise that at the time, but when Maraid was pregnant with Arlo, yeah. I was... Uh, Your wife is Maraid that Maraid, yeah. was... Um, Florence's manager, was, yeah. yeah, originally Florence's manager. Um, when she was pregnant, I, she was kind of like... I realise it now that it's happened, but she was like building a baby. She was kind of building this <laughs> this thing inside her, and I was like, I need to build something too. I think, and I, and that's why I built the, the record shop, and I kind of found a found a spot, and um, yeah, and, and had just hand built built most of it inside, basically. Oh really? Yeah. Because yeah. we got a mutual friend, like Brickwork, there, right? Yeah, Brick was there. Like, Adam Harris and uh, another Brentwood boy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, who was in a phenomenal Brentwood band. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, OK, well, this brings us on nicely, because there's another mutual friend um, 
here uh, that, we, that we're going to talk about. And I'll ask you to, for track six to pick your favourite song from an artist from your home county. Yeah. Um, so this guy I've known for many years as well, like maybe 50, we were trying to work it out the other day, 50, about 15 years or so. <clears throat> and um, he's been like, you know, the, like the, the lead guy in several bands of... of Fleet and Fleet Black and Market. Black, London Black Market. And um, and all my power, all my boys were in those bands with him and, and around that. And we yeah. played a lot of gigs together and we'd done a lot of, sh a lot of shows all together. And... Um, but we never got round to playing together. We never got round to being in a band together. We yeah. always kind of said, oh, we've got to do play some music. You know, as you always, you have a few beers and you're like, oh, we've yeah. got to do something together. And, um, and so since, since, the, since I've stopped not working with uh, Florence anymore, I've, I've, started, I've moved on to production. And I, I'm like, I've got a studio set up in Limehouse. Um, and I've been working with a, a, few, a few different bands. Um, which will go on to track seven. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've, I've got back. I got so Longy was doing these five hundred gigs. I don't know if you know the. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So he's, he's Do you want to like, explain a little bit about what, what that is? Yeah. It's, it's impressive. So yeah. So he he basically kind of challenge you know challenging challenging himself is good. Mm. So he's he set himself the task of doing five hundred shows in a year. Uh, he ended up I think doing five two two I think or five two one, and. One of those shows was at Lion. We, we, like, I saw it. I'm sorry, he was booking it, and I was like, oh, let's let's get Longy down. That'd be great. So we got him down for a gig. So we started chatting, and then we he was like, oh, yeah, we, I, I want to do more recording. And I said, well, I'm, I'm producing now. And, I said, and after a few beers, I was like, well, have you ever thought about doing the, another? I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this because he hasn't announced it. Oh, okay, so, okay. But um, I kind of challenged I kind of challenged him with something. And, yeah. Uh, He's like, yeah, I want to do that. So we're in, we're basically in the studio working together now. Oh, fantastic! Um, so we've we've got four tracks down. Um, and yeah, we're going to carry on working basically. Um, nice. But yeah, so so that none of those those tracks aren't released yet, obviously. But um, this, but this is these la the last release he's done, and I, and I just I think it's a fa like a really fantastic song. The li like lyrically lyrically genius, um, and it kind of it's it, he's got the ability to kind of stand their hairs up on the back of your neck you know in his voice and he's he's everything you should look for in an artist his voice is incredible he's a talent he's handsome he's charismatic <laughs> and he's as mad as a box of fucking fireworks man <laughs> yeah. like, uh, he come up to me once when I was DJing and he went Stu man 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 listen man and I was like what's up Nick and he went just hurt him and I went <laughs> what and he went, just just play something, it's going to hurt them. And I was like, like what? He went, I don't know, just hurt them. And just fucking walked off. And I was like, fucking hell. Yeah, he's, uh, he's great fun, Longy, though. He's, yeah. um, like, uh, what, his previous band, Black Market, like, what, when I first heard them, because I, I, I kind of, Fleet passed me by a little bit, and, uh, but I've got a mate who runs a studio called The White Room, you know Mark, right? Yeah. And, and Mark, who was a, a big, big shouter about Longy and, and, and his previous bands. He went, check out this band called Black Market. I was like, fucking hell. Great. And like, you know, I, his, his voice is he's, he's something special. Look, I think what I'm going to do as well is I'm going to hit up Nick and, and see if he's happy for me to put this track on there as well so people can 
get get a real good listen of, uh, yeah, of what, he, yeah. what so this, this is. This is his last single. This, this is out. This is out now. Um, it, so you, yeah, this this should this is def, definitely makes the list. Um, but with with the new tracks we're doing at the moment, it's kind of like a, this a secret challenge. I think I don't know. I, I think I I don't want to announce. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to push you on anything, mate. Um, so yeah, well, it's it's Primark Hospital Blues by Longy and. Um, like I say, I'm going to drop him a, a call on the way home and see if he's uh, happy for me to play a bit of, uh, of it on, the, on here. So yeah. uh, we'll, we'll do that because I don't think it's on Spotify. Okay. And the rest of your tracks obviously are. And so there will be a, a playlist for you to, to head over to and listen to all the songs that Chris and I are talking about. So you've mentioned Lion Coffee Records, right? Where's that? That is in Clapton, Lower mm. Clapton Road. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you expect from there? We have like it's about fifty-fifty on vintage and new releases, um, and the new releases are split kind of half and half into classic records, like, like all the gems that you should have in your collection, and new and current new releases. Um, we probably stock maybe ten to fifteen new releases each week. Wicked. Um, and and then all, and again with all the vintage stuff, it's kind of a little bit, I suppose, more eclectic. We go from kind of. Cuban kind of salsa jazz stuff to um, all to Elton John to John Lennon to yeah. to the Beatles, you know. So coffee as well, right? And yeah, really good coffee. Yeah, all, all press coffee. Um, and yeah, it's it's just a nice little hub, really. We we do like live events there. We've got a nice little cocktail bar set up out the back. Um, Am I right in saying that Courtney Love performed there? We had Courtney Love, yeah. We've had Gruff Reese played there. Nice. Um, We've had yeah, we had a bunch of bunch of guys play a bunch of stuff. And there. so is it a regular thing, live stuff in there? We try and do every Thursday, uh, but it's kind of it swaps it swaps about. Um, it depends on on which we're trying to kind of uh, put it around record releases, single releases. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a nice vibe. It's a good vibe to just come down and have a have a good cocktail and, and watch a band basically. So this vibe works, this works nicely in, in regards to you saying that. You know, you're stocking new music each week and you've got your own studio now. Um, so this has kind of led you on to working with other bands and yeah. and, and, and a label, right? So, yeah, my, my, my missus has got a, a label who kind of... She started it uh, a few years back and it it kind of went on a bit of a hiatus for the last couple of years. But the last release, really... And the label was? Uh, hate, Hate, Hate yeah. Records. Um, and the last release... Three years ago was, or two years ago was, um, the Fat White Family, um, touch the lever, touch oh, the leather. What record, a yeah. fucking tune! So that was like the last thing she'd done on there, and then she kind of uh, just went back into kind of kid world, I suppose. Like, yeah. Kind of like I mean, we, we were both quite happy, kind of just having a bit of time off, really. Yeah. Um, but now, so she's kind of brought it back to life and, and brought out. Um, uh, a couple of singles recently, but the one one of which she's started managing another band called When Young, um, and they have released um, they released their debut single on Hate and Hate, uh, and then they went over to um, over to Yala Records, which you know Felix Felix and Hugo, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that their second single was released on Yala, and, and now they've um, signed to Virgin, so they've kind of working on new bits for them. Three-piece from Limerick? Three-piece from Limerick, yeah. Um, kind of um, like pop-punk, pop kind of 
Really sweet voice. Really lovely voice. Uh, like, she's got like a like a bit of a snarl, a snarl to yeah. her kind of like a pro, like delivery, which is like 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 quite magical. It's kind of you know it's really yeah. kind of good. Like, but like believes in in you know what is what is happening yeah. with, with the lyrics and uh, and then, and it is very, it's like very very like lyrical like the l- lyrical content is is really like really clever and um, yeah it's it, yeah definitely worth a listen. And the track that. So yeah, so track seven is yeah, the Wen Young, the Collector, which is one of the tracks I've produced basically, and um, and it's just it's the B side off of the Yala. Uh, release, which kind of I think, it, I think what was what was it the, the song that many may not know that you would like to them to hear. Yeah. And so being a B side, I think it kind of the 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 A side got got heavily played, and I yeah. think the B side. And that was pretty. But it was pretty pure. Pretty pure, yeah. And then the B side being collector, and they self-directed this video for it, and it kind of when I saw the video, that really brought it to life even yeah. more. And it's a beautiful song, really. It's really lovely. So, what's a day in the life of of Chris then today? Like, you know, what what's uh, you know, as as it roll for you now as 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 dad, you know, owner of record store, you know, I think just a producer. A little, yeah, like a, a little bit. It feels like a little bit of everything, really. That's nice, though. Yeah, it is. Yeah, sometimes it can be like, well, what to do next? But then, yeah, I think, but mainly it's like, you know, waking up, spending as much time with the boy as possible, and. Um, yeah, and then getting into the studio, mixing and producing, and getting to the shop and doing yeah, just doing it all really. Um, try and try and have a beer on the, on the odd occasion. Yeah, <laughs> find time for a beer. Nice life, mate. That sounds yeah. great. Yeah. All right, well look, people can go and listen to all your songs um, over on the Spotify playlist, and uh, and yeah, just want to say thanks, mate. I've I've really enjoyed chatting. Oh, thank you very much. Thank Cheers, mate. Me. Cheers. There you go. That's your lot. Hope you enjoyed it. Chris is a ruddy bloody good egg. Really chatty, really fun. What a story. Um, hope you enjoyed it. You know, if you like your musicians, then just have a little look in the, the episodes that we've put out today as well. And um, and also go and have a look at Hardcore Listening Podcast, uh, which is a podcast I do with um, my friend Chris, not Hayden, Glasson that is. And um, it's also on the Distraction Pieces Network and you can hear Chris and I talking to all manner of musicians over on that one as well. And uh, and I'm sure you all know about Pip's podcast and he chats to lots of musicians and just bloody A-list celebrities and just generally the coolest people on the planet. God, I hate that guy. Um, But yeah, glad you enjoyed this episode and... Yep, we'll see you next time. My ego. Bye. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.